Thanks, Bob, Roy, worship team, moving all your stuff down here for us in the park. What a beautiful morning. Amen. Uh, Mickey Mouse says it's 70 degrees out here right now. Um, I noticed it was a lot cooler over there in the shade of those trees than it even is out here. So, um, But hey, a uh, couple things just to let you know of. Uh, Pastor Michael, I'm, I'm sure you noticed, has his uh, snow cone machine set up over here. So kids, after you eat your lunch, go hit him up for some snow cones. And then... Uh, then uh, after, uh, after you're done eating, uh, Steve Godby, hi Steve, how are you this morning? Steve and Annette, Steve is our uh, Awana commander. Uh, they are providing swimming and pre-registration for Awana this afternoon from one to three. So parents and kids, uh, you can swim for free on Awana today uh, between one and three and get registered for Awana. They're gonna start the 15th, is that correct? Do I have the date right? Is that a Wednesday, the 15th? 13th, okay. They're gonna start on the 13th. Um, no wind this morning. I said it out loud, sorry. Uh, we have an amazing baptism celebration. We have at least 10 adults and children to baptize today. That's gonna to be a, an amazing celebration over here afterwards, 10 uh, or 11 people. And, and then, you know what, maybe you came dry today and you're going to go home wet. I brought extra towels. Maybe you've been wrestling with whether to be baptized or not. And uh, today, maybe the Lord, the Holy Spirit will push you across that line and you'll, uh, you'll decide that today would be, would be the day. There was a plane uh, taking off from Kennedy Airport. And uh, after it reached a comfortable cruise altitude, the captain made an announcement over the intercom. He said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, your captain speaking. Welcome to flight number 293, nonstop from uh, New York to Los Angeles. Uh, the weather ahead is good, and there we should have a smooth and uneventful flight. Now sit back and relax. Oh, no. And then there was silence. Captain finally came back on the intercom and he, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so, so sorry if I scared you earlier, but while I was talking, the flight attendant brought me a cup of coffee and she spilled it in my lap. You should see the front of my pants. To which a passenger in the coach shouted, that's nothing, he should see the back of mine. <laughs> well, I don't have any coffee up here on the stage, so... We don't have to worry about that, but, but what I want you to do is I want you to sit back, I want you to relax, I want you to take a deep breath, just rest in the beautiful morning that we have, relax your shoulders, some of you look a little uptight this morning, uh, and maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're having trouble doing that, maybe you're like, Pastor Dave, there's no way I can relax this morning, I have too many things on my mind. There's too much going on in my life. I just, I just can't do that. Uh, there's stressful things. There's hurtful things. Uh, I've got brokenness. It's in the front of my mind. I just can't get rid of it. Or maybe, maybe you have a chronic illness or you know of others who do and it's been weighing heavy on your mind. And it's right here with you this morning. I mean, life is real, isn't it? We don't just come to a place and sit here and 
sort of take ourselves out of real life and, and pretend that it's all okay. I want you to recognize this morning that life is real and life is hard. And whatever it is you're feeling this morning, I pray that what God has for you today would, would be life-giving. It's, it's hard. Life is hard sometimes. Now, we're finishing today our series in the book of Job. And I know that there's a lot of people here this morning who have not been along for the ride with us in the book of Job, so I want to get us all on the, on the same page. If you brought your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Job. If you, if you uh, open your book up, your Bible up in, in the middle, it will open up probably to Psalms. Job is the book right before the book of Psalms. Now, I want to highlight some things. The book of, of Job is not, it's not hyperbole. It is not a metaphor. It is not biblical fiction. It isn't a parable. Job was a real man living on the same planet that we live on today. And as a father, Job did all that he could to lead his family in, in, in his faith in God. He was widely respected. Job chapter 1 verse 3 says, that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. God himself said that Job was a righteous man, a man of character. Job was also prosperous in, in wealth and possessions. I think if he were alive today, he would have been at the top of the list in the Fortune 500. Job lived during the patriarchal age, sometime after the Tower of Babel and sometime before Abraham comes onto the scene. Job had a large family. He had seven sons and three daughters who loved each other and loved being together as uh, they met frequently to celebrate their birthdays, it, it tells us in the book of Job. And at the end of each week, Job would offer burnt offerings on behalf of his children, acting as the priest of the family. He was, he was spiritually devoted as these offerings were to cover any sin that his children may have committed that week. The righteousness and virtue of Job is evident. Job was not only rich in character and family, he was rich in material possessions. I mean, he had it all. Uh, his life and what God allowed to happen to him highlights to us today the fact that bad things do happen to seemingly good people. Though we must also consider the fact that we have all sinned, that, that Paul says no one is good. But as far as righteousness, God says Job had it. And I also want us to remind us this morning that God is sovereign in all things. He is and he always will be firmly seated on his throne. Nothing will knock him off. He is over and he is above all things. All things. The angels do his will and they report to him. And even Satan, even Satan himself can do nothing to God's people without God's permission. We see the description of God as the Almighty used 31 times in the book of Job. Everything is under his control. Everything. The second reminder this morning is that our enemy Satan isn't ruling earth from hell. He is roaming the earth today just as you and I do. He won't be cast into the lake of fire until the final judgment of God. And a third reminder is that God found no fault with Job. Satan did. Uh, the word Satan 
means adversary, one who opposes the law. It's, it's a courtroom scene, and both God and Satan have different verdicts concerning Job. Concerning Job, God says he's not guilty. He's not guilty. There was nothing in Job's life that compelled God in this moment to make him suffer. He didn't need correction. He didn't need discipline. He didn't need woken up. He, he, he hadn't become self-absorbed that he sort of walked off and left God and was doing his own thing. God said he was righteous. He was not guilty. There was nothing that compelled God to make him suffer. But Satan, Satan is the one that cried, he's guilty. He's guilty. See, if you were to read the first couple chapters of the book of Job, you would see that God and Satan had this conversation in the throne room of heaven. And Satan says, the only reason that Job is faithful to you is because of all the stuff that you give him. Satan cried that Job was guilty because he is an accuser of God's people and finds nothing good in us. And really, in attacking us, he's really attacking God. He's trying to get to God through us. Theologian Warren Wiersbe paraphrased Satan's words this way. The only reason Job fears you is because you pay him to do it. You two have made a contract. You protect him and prosper him as long as he obeys you and worships you. You are not a God worthy of worship. You have to pay people to honor you. A basic reason it would seem that Job was suffering was to silence the blasphemous accusations of Satan and prove that a man would honor God even though he had lost everything. Job resisted the accusations and advice of his friends to invent some sin that he had committed because there were none. And if he had, he would have played, he would have played right into the enemy's hands. More on that in a moment. Uh, a final reminder to get us all on the same page this morning is this, and it's a huge one, one, that would have, one that's hard to see and accept when we are in a season of suffering mostly due to the fact that we're unable to see the big picture. Satan and suffering can only touch God's people with God's permission. And when it happens, it is for, God, it is for our good and for his glory. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, how could this thing that happened to me have been for good? I don't see anything good in that at all. You know, I don't even begin to pretend to be able to come up with an answer to that. But what I do know is that as we look at the suffering of Job in the beginning, there was good that came out of that. And, and God was glorified in the end. You know, it's hard to trust God in, in times of pain and hurt because it's real. But we can, in fact, trust Him because He is God Almighty. He is sovereign. He is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the great I Am. Yahweh. All-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, and perfect. He never makes a mistake. So if He allows something to happen in your life or mine or causes something that, that causes pain in your life or mine, we can trust Him completely. He never, he never you know, in 10 years, looks back and goes, Man, I... I really wish I hadn't have done that to Pastor Dave. We asked my grandmother one time if she ever regretted anything parenting our parents. This is 
me and my brothers asking her. And she's, one of the things that she always said was she always regretted spanking her kids over spilled milk. Because everybody makes mistakes. And what adult hasn't spilled something on the table in some time? Or, and I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a careless move or something. Dad spilled milk and Grandma spanked him for doing it. That doesn't happen to God. Ever. We can trust him completely because he is perfect. He allows tragedy in our life. If he does, it is what is best. So we walk by faith just as Job did. And then we grow in our, our ability to declare, blessed be the name of the Lord. Quoting Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. So with that quick summary, if you brought your Bible this morning or grab your phone, turn to Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. And in the last chapter of Job, we find the epilogue. A concluding narrative of this part of Job's life. Job was already, has already learned a great deal. We talked about that last week. A lot about God, about his power, who he is, and how little Job knows. God spoke to Job, and Job was humbled, and dare I say, even embarrassed by how he treated God in the midst of his suffering, his, his lack of patience. I mean, I've been there, I have done that. Job's lack of perspective on why these things were happening to him shouldn't have altered his faith and trust and reliance on God, and oftentimes that happens to us. There are many lessons that we can learn from these closing verses, but this morning, I want to focus on three. Three lessons that we can learn from the epilogue. First of all, and, and I know that this, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but suffering is a reality. Suffering is a reality. Every human being is going to suffer. Every human being is going to face pain in their life. It is common to mankind. Jesus didn't hold back the truth when he said in John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And that trouble, that suffering, comes from many different areas of life. It can come from our health, or the lack thereof. It can come from finances, or the lack thereof. It can be disciplined by God. It could be consequences of our own sin and our poor decisions. It could be correction. It could be because of other people's sin and other people's poor decisions can cause suffering in our life. Now, I don't know everything about every person here, but... I would be so bold to say that every one of us, every one of us to a person have experienced suffering in our life. So what I want you to do right now in this moment, I, I want you to put your finger, your mental finger on suffering in your life. Spend just a few moments right now 
describing in your mind to yourself suffering that, that either you're experiencing right now that you're in the midst of My guess is it's that very thing that's making you unable to relax and sort of get a sense of peace this morning as you sit here today. Put your mental finger on suffering in your life. It's as in your face as it can possibly be. I, and I know that some of you sitting here today, and maybe some of you who are watching from home right now, you feel like you're sitting in ashes on top of the city dump. It can't get any worse than it is right now. You're in pain just like Job was, or, or maybe you're having to go back a few months or even years to think about that dark night of the soul that you were in, where you just felt dry and there was no energy and you wondered where God was and no matter what happens to us, no, no matter what our pain and suffering is, we can take it to the bank that God is working. He is working. He is active today on your behalf. And He will work it out in the end. Romans 8.28 tells us, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to his purpose. Now this, of, of course, won't be every case, but, but I bet a high percentage of those situations that are out there, those suffering situations, have manifested themselves in some kind of relationship. A family relationship, a husband-wife relationship, a father-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter relationship, a, a, a uh, employee-employer relationship. Our relationships can be a major source of suffering, can't they? We were created for relationship. We were created with that uh, in the with that image that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has. That's part of the image of Him that we bear is how central relationships are in our life. And why wouldn't it be that area especially where the enemy focuses his attention on and tries to lob bombs and, and blow it up. I mean, we are all imperfect, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we must admit that we have hurt someone in some way because of a decision that we made, because of an attitude that we had, because of actions that we took. And in Job's case, in this specific situation, it was a combination of, of two events to oversimplify it. A conversation between God and Satan behind the divine curtain of the throne room of heaven. And the attitude and actions and words of three friends. Look at Job 42 verses, verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, Job has already humbled himself before the Lord. He's already admitted that he spoke of things that he didn't understand and, and that God is 
that, that, that God's ways will never be thwarted. It says, After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, who's one of the three friends, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Job's friends in chapters 3 through 40, they, they tried to help Job. For seven days they sat with him in the city dump and, and they, uh, they were just present with him. They were just there by his side. And I don't know, after seven days, nothing was changing, so that maybe they thought, well, we need to start giving advice and opinions and, and try to help Job figure out why it is that he is suffering. And they began uh, accusing him of some great sin that he just needs to uh, seek forgiveness for. They got snarky in their responses to him. They got angry. They were sure that they had the answer, and Job just wasn't listening to them. And in the process of doing the opposite of encouraging him and trying to make themselves look better than Job and wiser and more knowledgeable, they also misspoke things about God. And God's calling them on the carpet for it. Relationships can get messy. Hurtful things can be said. Hurtful attitudes exposed. Let's all be honest with ourselves and be, be willing to admit that we are the ones who are causing the suffering of others, when in fact that is the truth. Sometimes it's hard for us to see because we're so selfishly focused on ourselves and what desires we have and what wants we have. My prayer has been that this morning would serve as an opportunity for us to ask God to search our hearts and our attitudes and treatment of those around us. You know, a quote that I they often refer to once in a while, I don't even know what movie it came from. Uh, our associate pastor, Adam Tibbs, told me about this quote. It was an, one of the characters in this movie was talking to a guy, and he said, you know, if you go through the course of your day and, and you run into somebody that's a jerk, he said, they were probably a jerk. He said, if you get to the end of your day and you ran into six, seven, eight jerks, you're probably the jerk. And that has always resonated with me. We have got to be willing to look at our own lives and see if we are causing the pain and suffering of other people. Job has already heard God's correction and he has responded accordingly with humility and repentance. Realizing that God's ways are so much greater than our ways, Job learns many lessons about himself and he learns many things about God through his suffering. And I don't think he would have learned that had he not suffered. There are things in my life, there are areas where I have suffered in the past and I learned things about myself and about God, and I don't think I would have learned those. But God not allowed me to go through suffering. Do I want suffering? No, I don't. Are there times where it's what's best for me? Yes, there are. And I need to trust God with those times. As do you. The, th the things we learn and the ways we grow as we tackle suffering by the power of the Holy Spirit 
And in a faithful, godly way are limitless. We can never learn everything that we need to learn. We will never know. We will never arrive. Here, here's a little short poem that I came across this week. It says this, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6-11, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Yes, pain and suffering are a reality. We are hurt in relationships and we are often responsible for that pain others are experiencing. In Job 42, God reveals what should be done about it. Look at verse 8 and 9. So now he says to these three friends, Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. My second observation this morning is that we are to take personal responsibility when we are the one who is the source of the pain. Make a sacrifice yourselves, God tells the three friends. And they did. In their obedience, they were acknowledging that God was right. God, you were right, I was wrong. They did what he asked them to do. That he was Lord over them, he was their king. They messed up. And then they did just what God commanded. Jesus commands us to do the same thing. Jesus said in Matthew, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the offer. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. When you're in church on a Sunday morning, and you're bringing an offering of praise, you're bringing your gift of praise, you're listening, if, if you're bringing that offering and you remember that there's somebody in your life that has something against you, 
Jesus says, first you need to go to them. You need to go to them. It's almost like you need to go make a sacrifice before them. If you know of someone right now that is holding something against you, ask the Holy Spirit right now to give you the strength to go to them and to ask for forgiveness. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't hope it'll just go away. Go to them. And I know, I know you're probably thinking, oh man, I don't think I could do that. I just don't think I could do it. Well, the enemy's certainly not going to make it easy. He's going to accuse you and try to make you come up with excuses and reasons why you don't have to or why you shouldn't, why, why you should wait for them to come apologize to you because they said something first. Not -uh. That's not what Jesus says. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength to be able to do that. And, and, and we should do that, not because we think it will change them. Well, if I go ask them for forgiveness for what I said, then they will pipe up and they'll, and then, and then we get mad because they don't respond how we, no, that's not why we went to them. We went to them because Jesus said, this is what you should do. Out of obedience to Jesus, we need to own up to and seek forgiveness for the pain that we have caused in someone else's life. Our third observation here in these verses is that we are to forgive others even when they have hurt us. God told these three friends that Job was going to pray for them. These three friends who have just been harassing and accusing and discouraging Job for Lord only knows how many days. God tells these three friends that Job is going to pray for them. And Job's prayer is going to be that God would not deal with his friends according to their folly. When has someone ever been stupid and did something really dumb to us and we have prayed that God would forgive them because of that stupid... That's not really how we often roll, is it? We want our pound of flesh. We want, you know, whenever I see someone speeding through Lingle, I hope that Indra is just around the corner. Because I want them to get caught. We want people to endure the same pain that they caused us, but that's not what God does here. God says that Job will pray for you. Job was to pray for them. And Job obeyed because God accepted Job's prayer and he gave mercy and he gave grace to Job's friends because in, in regard to how they treated him. In fact, that same grace and that mercy he offered to Job's friends was the very same grace and mercy that he had already offered Job for the dumb things that Job said and the way that he treated God.
That's what God's word says. We are to pray for those who have hurt us. We are to pray for our enemies. We are to pray for their forgiveness. We are to pray that God would bless them. Do you remember when Jesus was, do you remember the words of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross? What did Jesus say? Father, rain hell, fire down on all these people for what they've done to me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus just endured the most excruciating week a human being could probably ever experience. Rejection by his friends and his disciples. Accused and found guilty of something that he didn't do. Tortured and crucified on a cross. And as he's hanging there on that cross, before he takes his last breath, he says what? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. You see, Jesus doesn't just command us to forgive people that mistreat us. He does the same thing. He did the same thing. He went first. He forgave. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Suffering is a reality. Sometimes we are the one who causes the suffering. Sometimes we are the one who experiences the suffering. And I've been looking for the right time to point out verse 4 in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and it's never really come up as we've gone through the entire book of Job. I just want to pause for just a second, and I want to mention this. My oldest and youngest, both daughters, are social workers. Now, my youngest is a, a clinical counselor social worker and uh, she went through all of this training and went through all of these interviews and, and did all of this study so that she could understand what happens when people experience certain things certain mental things certain abuses so that she could can help them having knowledge about that situation she endured hours and hours of classes years Five, to be exact. Uh, I can't say tens of thousands, but a couple tens of thousands of debt in order to be able to be in a place where she could speak truth and love and care into people's lives. And she's really, really good at it. She willingly went through that. There are times when we go through suffering 
whether it be a death in the family, whether it be a terminal illness, whether it be a broken marriage, divorce, broken family, there are lots of things that could go into that list. When, when we experience those things and we trust God in the midst of those and we get out the other side, God has taught us lessons where He will and maybe already has somebody in mind for you to come alongside someone who's also going through that right now in the present. Having gone through that, He's going to use you to help them stand strong. It would have been great if one of Job's three friends had, I don't know, had a family member who had struggled with some of the same things that Job had, and maybe they would have known what to say and what not to say, or how they can help, or how they can encourage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And then, in Job chapter 42, we come to a Paul Harvey moment where we read the rest of the story. Job experiences restoration. Look at verses 10 through 17. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. So we must not misinterpret this final chapter of Job and conclude that every trial will end with all the problems solved, all the hard feelings forgiven, and everybody living happily ever after. It just doesn't happen that way. We see situation after situation in God's Word right here where it doesn't turn out that way. The disciples suffered. Their suffering ended at the end of their life. This chapter does assure us that no matter what happens to us, God always writes the last chapter. And that is such good news. We don't have to be afraid of what we're experiencing and, and, and how we are going through life because God always writes the last chapter. We can trust God to do what is right no matter how painful our situation might be. 
Job's greatest blessing was not the regaining of his health. It was not the regaining of his wealth. It was not the rebuilding of his family and his circle of friends, though those things were all very good. His greatest blessing was knowing God better and understanding God's, uh, the way that God worked in a deeper way. That was the best. As James wrote in James 5.11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Even in the end of Job's life, when he, before all of that stuff was restored to him, he knew God better and he knew that he was full of compassion and mercy. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, we're told, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No matter what God permits to come into our lives, He always has His afterward. He writes the last chapter. And that makes it all worth it. That makes it all worth it. We are not promised freedom from suffering in this world. In fact, Jesus, as I said earlier, was very clear in 1633, in this world you will have trouble. We are also not given access to all of God's secrets. God does things, God acts in certain ways that, that only He knows why. But we are promised grace. In fact, there are many things about God and how He works and what He is doing that I just wouldn't understand anyway. There may be healing and restoration in this life for some, and for others that gift awaits them in the new heaven and the new earth where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and no more death. But what is true for every last one of us is that the here is that here and now there is grace and there can be hope you can't forget there's an enemy out there who doesn't want you to believe that and he's gonna he's gonna do everything he can to convince you that somehow god doesn't have your best interest in mind that somehow god can't or won't work out what's happening in your life for good he he wants you to give in to his insidious lies, just as Adam and Eve did. No, there is grace, and there can be hope. Who doesn't love a little 80s rock and roll, right? So I want to, I have a challenge for, for all of us here this morning. And I want to challenge everyone here today to take two actions. Hear me out. Based on all that we just heard and what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing right now in your heart. 
First, I want to challenge you to pray for and offer someone forgiveness. Pray for and offer someone forgiveness. All of us have had run-ins with other people. It might be a family member or it might be someone in the marketplace and maybe you've already worked it out or you're already asking God to bless them and to, to work in your heart so that you can forgive them. Keep at it. But I know there are those here today who, who haven't done that. If a name of someone that has hurt you immediately came to your mind when I said that, begin praying to God on their behalf right now. Let me help you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, maybe there's a name on every person here. Maybe there's a name on every mind. And Father, I know in forgiveness that that doesn't automatically mean things will be the way they were before or that doesn't mean that we're going to trust that person again. It doesn't, it doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is that we release our right to hold something against them. And Lord, you know the deep hurts that are present here today in the hearts and minds of people. And, and you know how hard it can be to, to pray for someone who's hurt us to be blessed. But Father, that's what you did with Job. That's an example that we have. We're to forgive 70 times 7. We're to... Forgive so that we might be forgiven. Your word is very clear. Holy Spirit, help us. Help me. To let go of the hurt. To let go of the bitterness. To, to let go of what I think is my right to have that other person experience the same pain that I'm experiencing. Holy Spirit, help me to pray that they might be blessed. I pray that there I pray that their marriage would be blessed. I pray that their children would be healthy and strong. Lord, forgive them for the hurtful things that they did and the hurtful things that they said. Restore their souls. And Lord, help me not to, in the next 10 minutes, take up that bitterness again to water that root that maybe has taken hold. In Jesus' name, amen. The second thing that I want you to do this morning is I want you to receive forgiveness and restoration yourself. Yeah, you know what? You 
you probably did something that hurt someone. And you know what? The enemy likes to run with those things. The, the enemy likes to take the things that we fail at and just, you know, just, just put his fist on us and push us into the ground with it. Accusing you, discouraging you, convincing you that you're worthless and that you're already past help. It's already too late for you. That is a lie. If you're breathing, it's not too late. Maybe you're hearing a steady message of condemnation. Well, that voice certainly isn't the voice from Jesus. In his book, Will Daylight Come? Richard Heffler includes an illustration of how sin enslaves and how... how uh, Forgiveness freeze. A little boy visiting his grandparents was given his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit the target. As he came back to Grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck, and on impulse, he took aim and he let it fly. The stone hit, and the duck fell dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching him. Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck? So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to Grandma that he killed the duck. I know, Johnny, she said, giving him a big hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. Jesus took to the cross your shame, your sin, your agony, your condemnation you just to re you just need to receive his forgiveness won't you receive his forgiveness right now let's pray lord jesus there's people here today who need forgiveness from you Maybe the actions that hurt another person are very clear. Maybe the words that were said, unmistakable. Maybe it was an attitude. And right now, 
in their heart they realize that they have been allowing the enemy to hold them down, to take away their peace, to take away their comfort that comes from their relationship with you because they've been holding on to it for fear of you knowing or for fear of you being unwilling to forgive. We know that's not true. Your word's clear. We come before you on our knees right now. And we repent. We ask that you would forgive us for the words that we said. Forgive us for the things that we did. Forgive us for the attitude. And Father, we may need help to correct that. We Maybe we've been making excuses for it for decades. We, it's just who I am. I just can't fix it. I just can't get over it. I just can't get past it. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would do a work in their heart and in their mind. That they would know how much you love them. And that you carried that sin to the cross already. And that when they confess their sins to you, that you are faithful and that you are just. And in that justice, you have already paid the price. You've already paid the penalty on that cross. And you conquered that sin and you conquered that death when you rose again. Lord Jesus, I pray that that, that those who are seeking your forgiveness today would experience a peace that, that they maybe they haven't experienced in, in weeks or months or even years. Work in our hearts. Help us to surrender. And to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.